This is my exit plan. The vampires and probably werewolves are for real, and they kill people. Ah, you think it's gotten real now? You don't know the first part of it. I was pretty freaked by watching the Moroi being dragged into the light, bursting in a fire in my books. They told me about blood drinkers and crazed family killer werewolves. But if that's all you think this is, you aren't going deep enough. Look, I'm a scientific-minded guy, and the scientific method would tell me that if it can be observed, then it can be measured, and if it can be measured, it is real. Sure. But that last part of a scientific paper, if you can throw your mind back to high school, or forward if you haven't gotten there yet, you'll recall part of the conclusions is the implications of the findings. Now, I saw a pale, monstrous-looking guy float, unaided out of a building, get shot with a spear gun, and only when he was struck by sunlight did he burn up. What are the implications of this? It seems you don't need to be traditionally lighter than air to float, and there's a class of matter that spontaneously combusts in the presence of solar photons, as if they are somehow different from all the other photons flying about the place. And what does this imply? Well, yeah, for lack of a better term, magic. Arthur C. Clarke said, and I'm paraphrasing of course, that any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. I think that's what I'm talking about. There are some hitherto undocumented natural principles that allow seemingly magic effects and monsters. Undocumented by recognised scientific bodies, that is. I mean, nuclear fusion existed right there, burning in our sky every day, even before atomic theory was postulated, let alone Einstein's theory of relativity. The sun just burned merrily away while we sat looking at it without a clue as to what it was. It was magic. It was God, or it was a tear in reality, showing us a glimpse of some other world. Maybe it really is. And so vampires are wandering about, doing their vampire thing, while we watch and have no clue how they do it, or what they are. I've had thoughts on the subject, but I simply don't have the theoretical background to make any sense of it. Too long didn't read? Well, magic is a thing, and my books talk about it. I've got this book here that I'm about to read. I'll call it a grimoire because that sounds more fitting. Grimoire. Yeah, so I... I flipped through it yesterday, but it didn't really catch me like the journals of the hunters or David Gelstein's work, so I didn't think any more of it. But something happened today. Flashback. I'm just going to tell you what happened, okay? Look, so I had an interview with a recruiting agent uh, as a pimp for us IT practitioners, if you like. So it was hot and sunny and there was, there was no clouds in the way of the sun. It was this sort of day that your basic Dracula would be hanging out in an air-conditioned cinema or casino. I, on the other hand, had a half hour to kill before I had to go. So I went into a cafe to grab some coffee and have a think. 
the guy in line before me spoke animatedly with the barista and got a large for the price of a small. The barista thought no one noticed, but I did. So I asked for a large and paid for a large. I didn't even get a smile. I didn't think any more of it. The train up to Perth was mostly empty at this time in the morning, after rush hour and not yet lunch. It smelled like someone from the night previous had a bit of a chunder in the middle of the floor, and the cleaners had spread as much of this uh, antiseptic stink killer as they could. They only succeeded in making the carriage smell like chuck and cleaning product. Mmm, the joy of public transport. I dodged around the three or four people hanging around, homeless and useless looking outside of Macca's, and continued to the recruiter's office. I wondered now about those homeless people. How many of them are genuine cases of human misfortune, and how many are or were victims of some kind of monster? The Maroy's victim, old Vic the victim, had seemed pretty useless and stupid. So the moment the Maroy had vaporised, he seemed to regain his wits. Are there, are there monsters that cause chronic depression, inflict abuse on kids or induce schizophrenia? Do people lose themselves in drugs to try to wipe away memories of things that should not be? Like that's, that's beyond my ability to understand and help at this point. But, but I went to the recruiter and had the meet and greet. I told him how much of an asset I'd be to any company that hired me and he nodded and smiled, but didn't seem overly enthused. I guess the market is a bit slow at the moment. Uh, so I dropped in afterwards at the hospital and caught up with Heidi when she was on a short break. So those nurses, they get run pretty hard. Is it just that there's not enough money to hire more, or is that only a certain breed of people want to be nurses? You know, people who can't help but try to help lost causes. Try to repair people. I wouldn't pick Heidi as that sort. But she does enjoy what she does. End flashback. It was only when I got back home that I started thinking about how that guy at the shop seemed to so easily connect with the barista and even got a discount on his coffee. It was like magic. He said some special words, made gestures, produced some material components, which would be money, and magic happened. He charmed the barista. People do magic around us all the time. When I saw a guy do a forward flip over a park bench once, sure, you could easily say it was practice and training, and it was, but when you break it down, you see, he prepared before he began the run. He rubbed his hands together, wiped them over his hair, he breathed a couple puffs out, bounced on the balls of his feet before starting the run. When he jumped, he made a little noise. When you look at it, it's very much like he cast a spell. The training was necessary, but then how can we say his other ritual actions weren't also required? This grimoire mentions this very thing. Here, I'll, I'll find the page. Ah, uh, yeah, okay. On the practice and execution of social priming magic. The book goes on about it uh, for a while, but the basic premise is that there is a method and practice to our social interaction whereby you can achieve predictable results by using known ritual and formulae. 
That's what social priming magic is. There are pages of diagrams and formulae describing how, for a given intent, you can determine and execute the required movements, sounds, and use the correct fetish. No, not that kind of fetish. It's a physical object to focus and channel magic through. We do this every day. I did it when I bought my coffee. My intent was to get coffee. I said, can I have a large long black with a dash of milk? And I used my credit card as the fetish. The result was I got coffee. You could say, oh, that isn't magic. But then you can say that of anything. A caveman would think my credit card was a magic wand. I waved it at the FPOS machine. It beeped and the barista happily gave me coffee. Just because we think we understand something doesn't mean it isn't magic. I bet some advanced alien race that could shoot lightning from its fingertips would just take it for granted, but we might just say, wow, that is magic right there. So I'm pretty psyched about this concept. Even more so that I have what appears to be instructions on how to work magic. I'm going to get a free coffee next time. That's my goal. If I can work this magic, get a free coffee, then I think that will be proof. I'm getting something for free at a shop would be magic in my books. Ha! In my books, there is magic to get something for free. I'll need to practice a little before I build up to a free coffee. Okay, so I stood in front of the mirror and practiced. I think I've got the idea. Just cock my head a little, smile just the right amount, then, as I'm asking for coffee, or it could be anything as far as I can tell, I raise one shoulder slightly, nod a little, extend my hand with fingers open, and then closing as if to accept something. I then have to sound some nonsense syllables just quietly before asking what I want. Then I do this thing with my tongue and offer money with the other hand. I'll have to get some cash out to do that. I've done all I can in front of a mirror. I'll have to get out and try this in the real world. Real world. Is that such a thing anymore? Talk about not really knowing how the world works. If this works, then I don't think anyone knows how the world really works. We each have a fragment of the truth and believe that to be the whole of it. Oh, crap. If... Oh, hang on. If monsters are real and magic works, then is there really a god or gods, demons? Soul? Oh, I think my brain is just overloaded. Can I even be an atheist, knowing there are vampires created by people having a spiritual closeness to the demigod Lilith? I think I might revise my view to being agnostic. I'm not saying I believe the religios have it right, but God or gods... Oh, look, but I'm not saying they don't have it right, and I'm not saying there aren't godlike entities or natural forces yet. Look, I'll go with that. The religions probably got it wrong, but there may well be godlike things out there. <sighs> okay. Okay, that, that didn't go well. Uh, I just... I just got yelled at and chased out of the merchant coffee shop. Ah, oh, look. Uh, there's a bunch more shops all along the Mandra foreshore here. 
uh, I think I think I really muffed that but but it encourages me because other than perhaps looking a little odd I didn't do anything that warranted being chased off it must be the magic uh, I didn't do it right I, I got a, a backfire or something actually I, I wonder if the grimoire talks about consequences or failure <laughs> I probably should have thought of that oh well uh, how much trouble can I get in really looking for free coffee yeah, it's not as if I'm asking someone to hand over their life savings or firstborn would that be easier or harder I just assumed asking something of low value would be easier but uh, look, yeah, I don't I don't want to rob people I'll take a free coffee but that's hardly going to cause hardship well uh, here goes my next try oh my god free coffee I'm a wizard an actual magic using wizard I got dirty looks insulted refused service and chased out of a bunch of shops up and down the foreshore but here I am at the chocolatier with free coffee in hand this woo is real the book talks about other aspects of magic but that all looked like bunk however social priming magic it works so maybe the other stuff does too it looks way more dangerous though there were references to binding an elemental to a fetish you know like a big rubber foot or no not that sort of fetish though you could do that I suppose Look, so you could make a magic fire wand that lets you invoke the fire elemental power hmm like a cigarette lighter or a match they're a kind of magic when you think about it uh, special components align in a particular way and then invoked using particular hand actions accompanied by the sound of the lighter or match strike oh, look, magic is everywhere we just don't think about it I'd bind an air elemental to a broom and use it to fly around on ha but I have a feeling that failing at that will get me more than just a cussing out maybe not magic, spirits, gods, monsters, and fate. It seems that way, but I wonder if fate is a real thing, or just something we use to justify our actions and fit events to intent post hoc. There is, however, I feel, an order to the universe. You could look at it as one great big Rude Goldberg machine. Each action necessarily kicks off the next in an ordered and inevitable fashion. But, like a Rube Goldberg, you can't easily see what the intent is, if there is any real use at all. Drop a rock and it falls under gravity. Is that fate and predetermined? Once you let go it is. But we have free will, right? Probably not so much. Our brains are just big chemical reactions, moving from our initial state to our final dead state, and the reactions that occur within it are all necessary results of our beginning conditions and external stimuli. Quantum superstates. They may have some effect to vary the outcome, but that still isn't free will as such. I have a feeling I'm just trying to rationalise away my responsibility for what I did and 
and what happened to Heidi as a result. Maybe tonight's special event is the necessary outcome from my stupidity. Ah, look, I'll get the next journal on because I'm talking about stuff I haven't covered yet. Oh, and here is a fat slice of what at first you might think was serendipity. Unless you subscribe to the view of fate I just expounded. In the movies when the protagonist discovers their superpowers or learns magic, they always go too far. They get a big head and then get punished. Me? Not so much. Turns out, I'm pretty freaking awesome and immune to bad consequences. Yes, I realise I just said that and I, I think I'll turn it down just a touch. I'll rephrase that to, I'm feeling pretty freaking awesome and I feel like I'm bulletproof right now. That's probably more like it, but still. I've just touched up my resume and sent it off to Gemworld Pty Ltd for a job as Senior Analyst Programmer, thanks to Beatrice. Beatrice was that stunner who arrived late to the estate auction, where I got the books. I ran into her again. Oh, hold on. Let me start over. I want to capture this scene as I relive it in my buzzing brain box. I was back at home reading my grimoire. The real title is um, Esoterica of Floriborology. I have absolutely no idea what Floriborology is or if it implies the existence of a Floriborist, Floriborist? or is it a Floriborologist? Uh, yeah, so anyway, I googled it and found nothing concrete. Anyway, the closest was a reference to the blooming tree crest of a Catholic monastic order established in the 13th century, or at least the monastery was founded then. Uh, who knows when the order was? There's um, pretty scant reference, and I wouldn't think Catholic monks would be getting around casting spells. Anyway, I was reading my grimoire when the thought occurred to me. I might be able to find supporting reference material. Probably not about the magic this book spoke of, but at least some information about cosmology. That's the metaphysics around quantum theory and other parts of physics that have ragged edges bordered by the unknown. Or maybe historical information about classical esoterica, like the Rosicrucians or something. So I found a bookstore in Perth in the basement of a Northbridge shop right near the State Library of all places. I put on my plastic coat and hood and braved the miserable grey skies and spitting rain to get on the train and kick my way through the free-roaming trash that tumbles down Northbridge streets like tumbleweeds in an old west town. The entrance to the store was a little tough to find because it was right next to a goth-slash-dark-wave fashion boutique. I kept walking past the PVC jeans and studded platform boots, uh, looking right at the door, not realising it was a bookstore. When I finally opened the door and went down, I had to do a double take to make sure I wasn't going down a service entrance. The bookstore had a low ceiling and was crammed full with narrow aisles of impressive-looking timber shelves groaning under the weight of expansive volumes. Now, the books ranged from well, teen fiction to old encyclopedia, uh, there were textbooks, and there was a locked glass cabinet filled with 
not only aged leather-bound books, but also miscellaneous artefacts like goblets, daggers and bowls. Naturally, I sidled them away over to the cabinets. In hindsight, I think it unlikely that a bookstore would simply stock actual magic books on the shelves for any old browser to purchase. But the cabinet still looked like it might have something interesting in it. So it was while I was standing there, just staring into the cabinet, not knowing what to look for and wondering if I should ask someone if I could have a closer look at some of the books, when I noticed someone standing next to me. I turned my head just to confirm her presence, but was dumbstruck when I saw her. She was tall, a little shorter than me, maybe, about 170 centimetres, had blonde, shoulder-length, straight-cut hair with, I think you'd call them bangs, but I don't know, what am I, a fashion blogger? Look, anyway, her fringe was cut straight across at about brow level. She had this pale, smooth skin that looked so smooth, it could have been made of marble. There was a little blush to her high cheeks that totally made her look like a portrait of a Scandinavian, oh, I don't know, a, a Viking warrior princess, if they had such things. I'm, I'm not a Viking historian. What I know comes from watching TV, so admittedly I'm probably wrong. But I think you get the idea. She totally knocked me for a six. Of course, I recognised her from my first meeting with her. The effect of being so close to her and just looking at her was, um, you know in the cartoons when the character sees a beautiful woman, or more likely a beautiful rabbit, and their heart thumps out of their chest and their eyes go on stalks while their feet lift off the ground and they go rigid like being electrocuted? Well, I have a feeling that's what happened to me. It was such a shock. I could go on about what thoughts shot through my mind, except it would be a waste of breath. I think you get the idea. I was happy to see her. She pretty much ignored me. No, that's not right. That implies she even registered I was there. She was pretty absorbed in her own thoughts as she turned from the cabinet and started looking at some of the shelves. I did manage to pull my eyes off her and get back to my own searching. I found a couple of books, one about the mutability of time and the observer effect, and another big book of myths and legends. I was keen to see if anything in my books actually lined up with mainstream research. At the counter, I took a moment to align my intent with my actions and, I guess you'd say, I cast a spell. My intent was to get a 20% discount. I didn't want to rob the bookstore, but I didn't want to pay so much considering I'm in between jobs. They're not for long, but I didn't know it then. Anyway, I cast a spell. Which still seems a corny way of saying what, what I did, but the sales assistant gave me the discount and shoved the books at me. I turned to leave and just about ran straight into Beatrice. She smiled and I, um, uh, I think I probably blushed or something embarrassing. So I said, sorry, I didn't see you there. She said, oh, she has a British accent, so let me see. That's not a problem. Y yeah, that's, <laughs> that's a pretty poor example, but She's got this very nice, crisp, posh British accent. From there, I managed to introduce myself and we got to talking. The shopkeeper was looking a little miffed at being ignored, so we went upstairs and had a coffee. 
I felt a bit awkward, but I've been feeling pretty good since that free coffee I, I had, so yeah, my confidence was running high. Turns out she works as the personal assistant to the CEO of Gemworld. That's a woman named Shilpa Patel. Uh, you'd have heard of Gemworld. They're the makers of that rather addictive set of games where you match gems to get clues to a cryptic puzzle. Anyway, when Beatrice found I was looking for work, she mentioned they had an opening for a programmer. I remember she said, and excuse my attempt at an accent, I'm so glad I met you. I think you're exactly what Shilpa was looking for, and maybe what I've been looking for. Yeah, I've got a date with her tomorrow night. These books have been the most amazing thing that's ever happened to me. The most confusing and frightening thing, but the most amazing. Wow, I know. I even warned myself at the start of that journal. The hero, and I'm hardly that, but the hero gets a big head and plows straight in a disaster. Well, I don't doubt they also feel frickin' awesome and bulletproof. That's the whole thing about Pride Before a Fall. But now, you know how I met Beatrice. But not why. You've also got a bit of insight into how everything went so wrong. I'm not feeling bulletproof now. Not that being bulletproof would help. It isn't bullets I'm afraid of. It's more the being literally cooked alive and eaten that worries me more now. A bullet would be nice and quick, mundane even. Well, I'm prepared and I have a plan. It's not a great one, but it is a plan to come out the other side. It was actually B, that's Beatrice, who helped me uh, put it all together with Venus, Tony and John. Uh, you won't know about them yet, but they're solid. This is my exit plan. Thank you for listening. The next episode will be posted at the same time next week. In that episode, the narrator meets other people and begins a quest. If you are enjoying this podcast, be sure to tell your friends. Visit gravityundone.net to learn more.